Well, it's cooking, everybody. It's Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. We're totally not on our sixth take, and this is the Poor Couples Food Guide Deep Dish Podcast, where we do a deep dive on all your favorite foods. I'm your host, Eric, also known as The Goose, with my lovely co-host, as always, Meg, a.k.a. Lay Skunk. Hello. And together, we are the poorest couple. We hope you're ready for some tasty knowledge facts, because today, your main course is going to be Irish soda bread. Alright, let's get started with this week's appetizers. So, this is going to be where we shoot the shit, see what's going on, talk about whatever random stuff we got to get out of our system for the week. I guess since this is our first episode ever, I guess we could just give like a loose sort of go-through of what the podcast is going to be like. So, this section, as mentioned, is appetizers, and this is just going to be off the cuff, random things that we feel like talking about. We'll try to keep it like loosely tangentially related to food, I guess, but... No promises. Yeah, that we can't guarantee that because we got very short attention spans. This is true. I'm surprised we've lasted this long already. Yeah, we're already like 30 seconds in. That's better than the last time we attended this. Yeah. Well, first starters, I guess let's talk about this week's Friday food. Yeah, we should talk about it because we don't even really know exactly what we're doing yet anyway. That's tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, it is tomorrow. And I feel like most people outside of us don't actually know about what a Friday food is. I guess... If I had to give like a loose definition, I consider Friday food to be sort of a combination of what people describe as cheat day and then what other people consider like weekend meal. I always thought that term was really soup when you see people were like, oh, this is a perfect weeknight meal because it just uses some soup. But uh, as far as I like, I'm not concerned about how long it takes so i guess it qualifies for that whole like weekend versus weeknight but basically i just try to keep it fun that's the theme of friday foods it has to be a fun cool delicious food that may be a little more extravagant than the rest of the week so yeah i feel like usually if there's a dish that might take a little longer to cook and is also fun i'll do it on friday because it doesn't matter if dinner's as late on friday or not Because we stay up later, so dinner can be later. Plus, yeah, it's just, like, a good time to, like, experiment and, like, maybe try new recipes or just try screwing around with some, I don't know, new technique. But anyway, so now you know what a Friday food is. This week's Friday food is going to be Super Deluxe Burgers. Now, what's a Super Burger Deluxe or Super Deluxe Burger, whatever you want to call it? I don't know. Every time we write that down on our meal planning board, it's just kind of like burger, I don't know, mystery burger. We just kind of like slap it together the day of. So A burger with a lot of toppings on it, basically. Yeah, basically, we'll just like stack up as many things we can inside that realistically go together, like to the point that it's just kind of doing that like Scooby-Doo thing where like you put the whole hamburger in and like it's the size of your face and you put it down your mouth unhinge your jaw and they have like a hamburger silhouette in your throat as it goes down i wish it was that way but well i think frequently what we'll do we'll put onion rings on a lot onion rings are a good topping for deluxe burgers um sometimes we put mac and cheese on oh yeah mac and cheese is another good one that's it's a good standard because you know everyone likes cheeseburgers but how about mac and cheese burgers then you you know you gotta throw some veggies in because you want it to be like too heavy 
Uh, I've never tried the fried egg thing. I've had it at a restaurant. I wasn't a big fan of it. I feel like it didn't add much because, like, eggs don't have a ton of flavor on their own. Because you don't like eggs, too. Yeah, that's that's part of it, but maybe we could try fried eggs on sometime. I don't know. Tomorrow, though, I guess subconsciously I kind of wanted to just do, like, big extravagant hamburgers because, as we all know, Saturday is the 4th of July, the birth of our country, the United States of fucking America. Which is why you also may hear random explosions in the background, because I'm sure our neighborhood is like all the other neighborhoods around the country, where someone is setting off fireworks every night from, what, like three weeks ago? It's currently going on. Yeah, pretty much. We're not getting shot at, I promise. <laughs> it hasn't gotten that bad yet. <laughs> no, yeah, it basically, in New York State, especially on Long Island, anytime between, like, May 15th to September 15th, you've got like a 75% chance of hearing fireworks after dark. It's just not just on weekends, not just around the 4th of July, just the entire frigging summer. Someone just, I don't know where these people are getting all the money to just blow shit up, but uh, guys, we got a lot of rich assholes around here, so they're, they're literally just lighting money on fire and just blowing it. Not literally, I hate when people do that, but you know what I mean. It's a fucking waste of money. Although it is pretty cool. I do appreciate when, when our friend Dan gets a lot of fireworks, but that's beside the point. Well, I think we've had our fail of appetizers, so why don't we move on to today's main course? Irish soda bread is a sort of catch-all term for any type of quick bread that you make using chemical leavening instead of yeast to make it rise. It's popular in both the United States and the UK. It's It's been for around for a couple of centuries already because the term quick bread suggests it's, it's pretty easy to make, especially compared to other breads which require a lot of finesse and rising, special flours to make them bubbly. So generally, with most people in America, when we think of our soda bread, we think of a big round cake-like bread. But believe it or not, soda bread can actually resemble flatbreads and pitas, and there's even more varieties than that. Yeah, but like, let's be real. No one thinks of flatbreads when they hear soda bread. I saw a few pictures of them while you're researching this, and look, like, just, they just look okay. They look kind of like pitas that are just really dense, like, I don't know. I'd love to be proven wrong, though. Maybe we'll visit England someday and we can try some, but I don't have high hopes. Ironically, Irish soda bread was not really invented by the Irish, despite becoming a Gaelic staple. It's popular there now, and it, and it has been for a while, but unfortunately for the UK, soda bread is American as fuck. The trademark flavor comes from the use of baking soda in it, which imparts like a, a bitter taste. If we're going to get technical for a moment, let's let's go over baking soda. Baking soda is interesting. It's an alkaline, which is kind of rare for most foods. We get a lot of acidic foods, and acids tend to taste kind of sour, which that's why citrus foods are tart. They have that sourness to them from citric acid. On the pH scale, zero is the most acidic, which I assume, I don't even know what substance is, is zero on the pH scale. I assume that it just burns through the core of the earth and fucking goes to outer space. Or it could be like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, just go straight to China. But real talk, uh, on the pH scale, like sulfuric acid, which is probably like one of the stronger acids that people actually like know about, that basically falls at 0.1. So not quite zero, but we're getting there. The high end is alkalines. That's like 
7 to 14. 14 is the most alkaline. Neutral is 7. It's right in the middle. Citric acid, we were talking about with citric fruits like lemons, oranges. Citric acid is really low. It's like a pH of 2.0, which I didn't even realize that until recently. Like, it's not as acidic as sulfuric acid, but you know, it makes sense. You get like lemon juice in like a cut. So that's pretty agonizing. But either way, the more acidic it is, the more sour it's going to taste. Alkaline, on the other hand, alkaline gives a bitter flavor. So baking soda, as we mentioned, is alkaline. It's basic. So baking soda is around nine on that scale. So it's not super alkaline, but it's high enough to give that taste. Who are you calling basic? Um, sorry, baking soda. You a bit basic. Actually, like, if you want to think of, like, a real-world application of this, think about big, soft pretzels. They're delicious, they're fluffy and buttery and delicious, they're awesome. But if you stop, take a moment, you'll realize you actually do have, like, a little bit of a bitterness to them under that, like, salty bread flavor. That bitter, like, underlying tone, that's the alkaline. That's, that's what makes pretzels kind of taste like pretzels. I think they used to use lye, like chemical cleaner lye to like make pretzels. But now I think they use uh, more like food grade substances, like maybe baking soda. Although I think there might be a food grade version of lye. I don't know. We don't make a lot of lutefisk around here, so not too up and up on, um, on chemical lye. But anyway, at the same time, soda bread has that similar bitter taste to it just like pretzels do, because it gets made with a lot of baking soda compared to other breads. And actually, come to think of it, the use of baking soda in soda bread wasn't necessarily for the flavor, it's to help it rise. We'll go over all this later, but in case you haven't really put it together by now, baking soda is where we get the name soda bread from. So, sorry to anyone who lived in a fantasy world where the secret ingredient to Nana's homestyle soda bread was a bottle of Coca-Cola. Though, we live in America, so, like, who the fuck knows? Someone's probably tried it before. Okay, I have a confession. My mom and grandma's recipe for corned beef uses ginger ale, and since corned beef and soda bread are usually made at the same time, as a kid, I thought the ginger ale was for the soda bread. That's, uh... Did you not understand that the soda bread doesn't taste like ginger ale? I was a dumb kid. Yeah, kids are dumb. Although, you know... There's kinda, cakes that call for Coke. I was about to say, I kind of want to try making a cake or some sort of dessert that calls for ginger ale now. Anyway, another trait of Irish soda bread is that it's common for people to cut two bisecting lines in like an X or a cross shape on the top of it before it bakes. Traditionally, people refer to this as letting the devil out, quote unquote. I think from a technical standpoint, it might be done to help the bread expand and sort of like rise better. But, you know, also Irish people are really freaking obsessed with Catholicism. So why not cut a big old cross into that Irish bread? So I went to see if Ireland is more Catholic or Protestant to see if this joke even worked slash was correct. And um, wow, Protestants and Catholics really do not get along in Ireland. I had a little idea, but yeah, um... I'm just going to slowly back away from this comment on religion. Probably for the best. Anyway, while it's frequently made plain, you can also have soda breads that feature like seeds, like poppy seeds, caraway seeds, fennel seeds for like a more hearty take on the on the regular version. Some people use different types of fruit like currants, cherries, orange pieces, and some people might even add raisins because they're fucking monsters. 
Raisins are the devil. Fuck raisins. Don't put raisins in anything. No. Except for the garbage. Put raisins in the garbage because that's where they belong. Fuck raisins. And make sure dogs don't get them. Very bad for doggies. Anything that's sweet and can kill your dog because it tricks your dog into eating it, not good. Don't stock that in your house. Public service announcement, don't buy raisins. One thing that's worth noting, though, is the Irish soda bread is actually pretty similar to the Italian sweet cake bread that's called panettone. Uh, the main difference with panettone, though, is that they're made with yeast, so they come out a little bit more cakey, and they have more sugar in them. I'd like to point out, you need to be careful in discussing sweet-tasting breads, because there's also a foodstuff called sweet bread, which inexplicably is a cut of meat that's basically just baby cow pancreas. Isn't that everyone's favorite? I'd really like to know who the fuck came up with that one. Like... Ignoring the fact that someone had the idea to cook a calf pancreas, but like after the fact, when people were deciding what to call that, they were just like, oh, hey, so you know how we have, you know, bread? Like starchy, weedy goodness, bread, tasty, good stuff. What if we take this like shitty cut of meat that like nobody wants? What if we just call that sweet bread? Look, I know, I know, I know. It doesn't taste sweet. It doesn't have anything to do with bread. But like, hey, come on. It'd be great for pranks, right? I, I gotta think there's only, like, one realistic explanation. Like, someone thought it'd be hysterical to offer someone a sweet bread and really get a kick out of it when they go, what the fuck is this? Like, really? I really think it was a trick, because how else would anyone be lured into eating that? Apparently, the name comes from the fact that pancreas and thymus organs apparently taste sweeter than other organs, and bread comes from an old English word to breed or braid that can mean meat or flesh. I don't know. I don't buy it. Also, I don't want any of my meat to taste sweet, so I'll just stick with some Oreos, thank you. Fuck sweet bread. Anyway, we're getting off track here, so why don't we get started with the origins of Irish soda bread. So I found this really interesting when researching the origins of soda bread, but apparently the earliest versions of it trace back to Native Americans. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that one either, right? For what it's worth, discovering that Irish soda bread was effectively invented by Native Americans is partly what inspired us to try doing this podcast in the first place. I remember it just like it was yesterday. We were eating a quarantined St. Patrick's Day classical dinner with the Dropkick Murphys playing their online concert in the background. I don't know why I refer to them as the Dropkick Murphys, like an old person. Because you're in your 30s now, so you're old. I'm sorry. <sighs> Fuck it, we're all old. Anyway, real talk though, yeah, we, we had some soda bread that we're eating, and we looked it up, and it was like, holy shit, soda bread was invented by Native Americans? That's pretty cool. But So yeah, that, that kind of inspired us to start this podcast in the first place. Anyway, apparently at some point in the last 500 years or so, Native Americans discovered they could just make these really simple breads using primitive flours, water, and this substance called potash, or... Potash? I think it's potash. I don't know. It's sort of like an early precursor to baking soda. Potash is some sort of like weird powdery material. It's made by taking charcoal that you got from potassium-containing plants, and then you soak it in water and evaporate the water. It really is amazing how much stuff people were to figure out like back in the day. No internet or even dictionaries. Just, hey, we tried doing this thing and it ended up with something delicious. Like, that's pretty cool. I'm sure there were a lot of trials where the bread ended up just tasting like charcoal first, but like still very impressive. Yeah, I think about that a lot. Like we take it for granted that it's just like, oh, 
going back 30 seconds ago, like, we were fucking sitting down eating soda bread. I was like, I wonder what the, the origins of the soda bread food we're eating. And I just fucking typed it in my stupid phone, and then there we go. We had the, the, the great answer that would surprise us. And compared to, like you said, even just a hundred years ago, if you wanted to try something out, you had to go to a library or you need to find a fucking like expert on the subject to like would like teach you and and show you how to do it with like their bare hands. And now we just have fucking YouTube videos where someone's just like, "Hey, what's up, everybody? Today we're gonna show you how to construct a potpourri box." Uh, my name is uh, Roger Five Seven Three, and please like and subscribe. So we we do live in a pretty good time, as horrible as it is. So earlier, we mentioned soda breads use chemical leavening instead of yeast. So let's let's go back to that real quick, because we didn't really explain it that well. We all hear about baked goods need to rise, but I feel like a lot of people probably just like glaze over that without thinking about the actual process. Basically, rising is just whatever the dough or batter you're baking, it develops a bunch of air bubbles inside of it, which kind of just helps it to poof up and get a lighter texture. So, like, if you've ever seen a pizza crust with, like, a big stupid bubble in the middle of it, that's rising. That's rising in action, albeit it's kind of a, a dumb mistake version of rising, but it's the same concept. Air developed inside the dough, and it didn't quite pop, so it left that big air pocket inside. In general, this is what you need to happen for, like, most baked goods. Instead of just one big stupid bubble, you want a bunch of small ones that just sort of, like, poof it up evenly. If you don't introduce all those little bubbles into your baked goods, the food's going to come flat. Like, literally flat. It'll be dense and chewy and, like, hard, crunchy, depending on whatever food it is. So, like, in other words, it's going to suck. Yeah, it's basically the deal with matzo. Like, matzo is an unleavened bread, so it's basically just a cracker. I don't know how many people outside of New York have a steady reference for matzo, but... If you want to know what a matzah is and you're not from New York and you don't come from a Jewish family, picture a saltine cracker. cracker. It's a it's a giant saltine cracker. Picture a saltine cracker like the size of a fucking placemat. And also it has no salt on it. So it's not like a saltine cracker. Looks like one has no salt, has no flavor, and it tastes like absolutely nothing. So be prepared to put like some peanut butter and jelly and like regular butter on that because without that matzahs taste like cardboard actually for example like going back to rising if you're gonna like make a chocolate cake and you left out the leavening it probably come out something closer to fudge except it wouldn't be delicious like fudge since fudge doesn't have flour in it instead you just have this like weird dense hard to eat cake that probably tastes and feels like you're eating a sponge Ugh. so without leavening to create all those bubbles like bread would just sort of come out like we said like a like a matzah like a cracker or there's something called hardtack all of our MRE and Army food fans, which uh, I'm sure we have plenty of somehow, they've probably heard of it. But long story short, hardtack is like, it's like a thick cracker that's like designed to preserve forever. Like they're, they're borderline impossible to eat without like some sort of moisture on them. They're not really palatable. They're not meant to be enjoyed. They just, they last forever since they have very little moisture in them and they can't spoil. So... If you want context for how long these things last, there's this one guy on YouTube we follow, Steve1989, who, he ate a hardtack cracker from the Civil fucking War. He ate a cracker that was over 150 years old. And he lived to tell the tale. I think he's gotten sick more from modern MREs than the old ones he's tried. Yeah, go fucking figure. He eats a cracker from two centuries ago. He's fine. 
He eats some stir-fry from the Chinese Liberation Army in 2017. He ends up in the hospital. <laughs> Good job. Anyway, to wrap up this little lesson on leavening, let's bring it back to soda bread. So as mentioned, there's two common ways to make your foods rise. Yeast, which is, you know, you may know it's it's alive. It's, it's a fungus and it produces carbon dioxide. It, it respirates, it breathes, so it basically breathes out carbon dioxide. But then there's also chemical leavening, which comes from a chemical reaction, as its name suggests. Soda bread uses the latter, chemical leavening. It's not as dramatic as yeast, since the reaction occurs kind of faster. It doesn't make as as much air. It's worth noting, though, baking soda won't cause bubbles on its own. It's used in tandem with an acidic ingredient, which causes a chemical reaction that releases carbon dioxide. In the case of soda bread, it generally calls for yogurt or buttermilk, which is acidic. That always makes you wonder, though. Like, what? I don't know if there's any recipes that call for like both yeast and like chemical leavening. Like, what would happen? Like, does does your bread just like explode? Like, I gotta look into that. I'm I'm legit curious if there's real recipes that would actually like call for both of them. Can you just like create a cake nuke in your oven? Ah, who the hell knows? Anyway, at some point in pre-revolutionary America, probably the early 1700s, these Native Americans they were making these primitive versions of soda bread. They must have taught American settlers how to make these quick breads as well. and Apparently they were a hit because they stuck around long enough to evolve into modern day soda breads. Alright, well that about does it for the origins. So let's get nitty and let's get gritty because now it's time to take a look at the history and development of soda bread. So by the late 1700s, cooks eventually began using potassium carbonate, a more refined version of potash, to bake their quick breads. It was the same basic concept, but I think they just found a way to, like, further concentrate potash into a pure form, so it was like a stockable powder that they could have a bunch of, the way that we have baking soda today. These early types of soda breads caught on in America. They began appearing in cookbooks like The American Cookery, an old recipe book, apparently, from the Revolutionary Time. But they were cheap, easy alternatives to classic yeast breads, which took a lot of time and effort to produce, so... They were a lot easier to make. And it makes sense if you think about it. Like, back in colonial times, people didn't really have the luxury of cooking food just for the hell of it. Poor people had to, you know, work. They toiled. Their day-to-day life was basically just wake up at 4 a.m., start cooking breakfast for an hour or two. You would have, like, this quick, shitty breakfast that didn't taste good. Then you'd get out and you're working in the fields or the barns or whatever the fuck they did for a living back then. They worked all day, they came home and had dinner probably like 3 o'clock in the afternoon because they didn't have electricity, and then they went to bed when the sun went down. Fuck, I cannot imagine that. You lost me at wake up at 4 a.m. But yeah, so either way, if you were just some poor housewife who was forced to cook everything back then, you, you didn't have time to screw around kneading a bread dough for like 3 million times and setting it aside to rise for an hour. I wouldn't be surprised by the time these women were done cleaning up after breakfast. They just had, like, barely an hour to themselves before they had to start getting dinner started. I'm pretty sure they had no free time for themselves, because there was probably always cleaning, mending, and child-rearing to be done. Definitely not the quote-unquote good old days that I would want to go back to. Yeah, but then this recipe comes along and someone tells you, Hey, you can make this bread that you can slap together in, like, 30 minutes. Like, that was like a fucking godsend to all those people craving some tasty bread during the revolution. Well, unless they were gluten-free, I guess. Were there gluten-free people in the 1700s? Probably. Though I doubt there was any way of knowing who had gluten intolerance. 
Yeah, they they probably just like died really early deaths or or got stomach aches and got called pussy a lot. Either way, the creation of these quick breads made it so your average Joe Schmoes could just make bread at home whenever they want. They could leave all the fancy schmancy breads to the bakers who got paid to do it. So let's move forward a bit to 1846. In 1846, there were two American bakers who invented the next piece of the soda bread puzzle, sodium bicarbonate, also known as baking soda. So this whole time, Irish soda bread was being made with potassium carbonate, which, as mentioned, was you know was similar to baking soda, but not quite the same. Apparently it had like a, an even more bitter metallic taste than baking soda does, so it kind of gave the foods that you made with it a metal taste themselves. It's also of note, I discovered that potassium carbonate is apparently one of the three drugs they inject into people during executions. So, because it can induce cardiac arrest. Whoa. Do you think that people actually gave soda bread to their enemies or something? Ah, I don't know. I guess apparently, you know, eventually they just decided having a, a metallic tasting lethal injection powder wasn't the best thing for helping your breads rise. It's worth noting also that in 1791, there was a French chemist named Nicolas Leblanc who created the compound sodium sodium carbonate. So at this point, we hadn't reached baking soda quite yet. That was just sodium carbonate, not sodium bicarbonate. Freaking chemistry. (laughs) That stuff by this guy, Nicolas Leblanc, uh, this stuff was also known as soda ash. It was just a rougher version of baking soda. It was slightly chemically different. It was a stronger alkaline, so that made it a little bit better for cleaning and chemical manufacturing. So not as good as regular baking soda was. But anyway, in 1846, we had American physician Austin Church and his brother-in-law, John Dwight, they officially invented baking soda after they discovered they could create a weaker alkaline version of the aforementioned sodium carbonate by adding carbon dioxide, and the weaker pH made it suitable for cooking. Thus, it made it for a perfect leavener to replace sodium carbonate in soda breads. So, uh, yeah, sorry, UK, that's, that's another strike in the soda bread is American column. Jeez, I'm all starting to feel bad for those guys at this point. I do need to point out, though, while researching, we did discover that it seems like there were some primitive forms of sodium carbonate and bicarbonate did, in fact, exist in natural forms prior to either the French or American inventions of it. But these two examples were more when, like, modern manufactured versions were created. So I guess you could say baking soda was invented by nature or God or whatever, but, like, for the sake of food history, we're only invented or we're only interested in the manufacturer types. Interesting fact here that I didn't realize, but the company founded by those guys, Church and Dwight, is named Church and Dwight, and it went on to grow into one of the biggest household product companies we have now. Specifically, they're the ones that own Arm & Hammer brand baking soda. Like, I thought that was really cool. Like, 150 years ago, they had this game-changing invention, and they were able to build this big company out of it that still manufactures this stuff over a century later. Capitalism for the win, baby. They were the Phil Swifts of their time. Yeah, good for them, and God bless Phil Swift. And Flex Seal. Flex on, brother. (laughs) Interesting side note here, but apparently some U.S. senator in 1919 declared that a court judge from North Carolina informed him that baking soda cured Spanish flu. Supposedly there were no deaths in the area, and they were giving patients baking soda. 
Considering the Spanish flu went on to kill nearly a million people in the United States, I'm gonna guess that they weren't exactly onto something here. Yeah, that seems like, uh... Anyway, with the invention of baking soda, it just sort of went mainstream in American kitchens, and soda bread was changed forever. It caught on in the U.S., and then it made its way over to Europe, and it became popular there as well, for good reason. English bakers began making their own soda breads, and soon the dish finally made its way over to its ultimate destiny. Glorious Erin, the Emerald Isle, the home of saints and scholars, and Guinness. Merry old Ireland. Or Ireland, if you're going to be super Irish. In the mid-1800s, soda bread caught on pretty quickly in Ireland for a couple of different reasons. So, for starters, Ireland historically had really shitty soil conditions that made it hard to grow certain staple crops, like hard wheat, for example. Hard wheat is higher in protein than, like, the wheat we're used to, and when it's made into flour, it creates more gluten. Generally speaking, we see this called bread wheat or bread flour in modern day applications. Yeah, to contrast, soft wheat is higher in starch, so the flour that it produces is better for desserts and pastries and cookies and things that don't need like as much structure as a bread does. If that's the case, though, where are all the great Irish pastries and desserts? Uh, the only Irish dessert I can think of is a Sunday bloody Sunday. <laughs> But basically, if you want to bake most varieties of bread, you need the good stuff. And, well, in Ireland, that stuff just didn't exist. Or you probably had to buy it as an expensive import. But there was one type of bread that you could bake using the soft wheat that they were growing. Yep, you guessed it, soda bread. So basically, once Irish people found out they could make this quick, easy bread without all that fancy, cool flour and yeast, they got way into soda breads. And the rise of soda bread couldn't really have come at a better time either, because right around that same time was when the Great Irish Potato Famine hit. So, quick history lesson here. Remember how I mentioned that Ireland historically has bad soil that wasn't really fit for growing a lot of crops? Well, one of the few crops that did great up there was potatoes. So, now you know why, stereotypically, Irish people like potatoes. Great. But Irish people didn't just like potatoes, they relied on them. Potatoes became a staple crop for Ireland to the point that much of their economy and their way of life revolved around the potato market. So, let's just say you have this one crop you're, like, entirely reliant on for food and money. What, uh, what happens when that crop, say, just dies? Yeah, you're fucked. So during the 1840s, Ireland's potato crops were stricken with a mass outbreak of this mold infection called blight. What happens is basically mold spores infiltrate the plant, they reproduce, they get to the fruit, and that just ends up rotting the potatoes away after a few days. It's super contagious and it can wipe out entire fields in just a week or so. So yeah, as you can imagine, Ireland just got fucking bodied by this potato virus. People were starving, the economy was in shambles, it was so bad that at least one million people starved or died of related illnesses, and around a million other people fled the country to places like the England, the United States. It's estimated that the population of Ireland as a whole dropped 25%. A quarter of the population just vanished in the span of five years. That's insane. But yeah, so there's a bunch of other background and history involving the British monarchy and the economic fluctuation of Ireland at the time, which also accounts for why the famine was so bad. But in the context of a food podcast, 
Who the fuck cares? We're here to talk about potatoes. Or, no, we're here to talk about soda bread. But, so, anyway, as you can imagine, this is another reason the Irish people latched onto soda bread so much. Wheat wasn't affected by this blight virus, and so flour was still available. So, naturally, soda bread, which is cheap and easy to make, it caught on even more than it normally would have. Apparently, during the potato famine, soda bread was so popular, people were, like, price gouging baking soda and, like, other chemical leaveners that you could use to make it. During research, we even discovered that there were some stories that, like, demand was so high that you had scammers that were selling fake ingredients to make a quick buck. And unfortunately, there wasn't really much in the way of food regulation back then. So, is, is, whether if you just had a shady Irishman selling a bag of white powder and saying, Oh, yeah, sure, it's baking soda. I swear on my mother's grave. You had to trust him. So, like, but who the fuck knows what was being sold to some folks back then? I believe flour was also being cut with a multitude of other white powdery substances back then. I watched it on a YouTube video, which I can get the information for if anyone's interested. But yeah, so like someone theoretically could have thought they were making soda bread with flour and baking soda and really was basically just making like a chalk loaf. <laughs> Fun times. <laughs> Apparently people ended up getting poisoned and, and dying from it. Like, that's such a freaking bummer to me. Like, you're surviving one of the worst famines your country will ever see and like you're making it through and you're and you're you're living on. Only to just get done in because some douchebag sold you a bag of crystallized Drano or something and told you it was baking soda. Fuck. But, fortunately, after four or five years, the famine eventually ended. Actually, I gotta say, this is another bummer to read up on because there wasn't really much of a happy ending here. There was no aha moment where, like, someone just stood up and yelled, Fuck you, Blight, we've got the cure! Instead, it just kind of, like, took, like, five years for all the potato crops to, like, regrow and adapt after being wiped out. That, uh, and, you know, uh, a quarter of the population starving to death or fleeing to another country, just, logistically speaking, there's fewer mouths to feed, which also helped end the famine. So, yeah, overall, it was a, a shitty ending to a really shitty time period. But, luckily for everyone, Ireland survived, and in return it gave us Jameson, Flogging Molly, and that one gym leader in Pokemon Sword and Shield who's just an adorable Irish stereotype. And Ireland retained its love for soda bread, food that helped it get through one of the darkest periods of their history, and adopted it as their own. So you know what? I know I spent the entire show busting their balls about how soda bread is American, but after reading up on the potato famine, like, they, they kind of earned it. I'll let them have this one since, you know, the, the UK and Gaelic cultures aren't particularly known for their foods. But either way, at this point in time, these, these prim primitive little quick breads had firmly been established as Irish soda bread. And that leads us into present day, so let's take a look at the more modern applications of it. <laughs> So, as we've covered, despite it being invented in the United States by Native Americans, and having its early development in the United States, and its key ingredient of baking soda being invented by an American company, everyone still associates it with Ireland. Most people in America just tend to associate it with St. Patrick's Day, and consequently, they only ever really eat it around St. Patrick's Day. So, like, again, I'll give credit to Ireland. It may have an American history, but stupid, shitty, trashy Americans treat it like a novelty. 
Irish people, they love it. It's like an adopted child. It's an everyday fixture of life, not some novelty that dickholes eat just around St. Patrick's Day in between bouts of vomiting green beer. Incidentally, true fact time, Irish soda bread is officially the only good St. Patrick's Day food that exists. Well, aside from green-colored bagels. New York listeners, you know what we're talking about. Oh yeah, sure, I can hear people now. Don't forget about corned beef and cabbage. Shut up, I'm gonna put it lightly here. Fuck corned beef and cabbage. It's not good. It's a meme food and nobody cares about it. You know how you can test this? Let's run a little experiment. I want you to think to yourself, when was the last time you, one, ate corned beef and cabbage, and two, craved corned beef and cabbage? What's the answer to both of those? St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, exactly. Generally, foods that people like to eat tend to get eaten more than once a year. I'd be shocked if anyone I knew in person actually ate corned beef more than once a fucking year on St. Patty's Day. Do corned beef sandwiches count in your little rant? Because there's probably people who eat corned beef sandwiches throughout the year. I don't know, maybe, but if people actually liked corned beef, they'd ask for a corned beef sandwich instead of inventing one and calling it a Reuben. So either way... Props to Irish soda bread for actually being worthwhile compared to that shitty food. Going back to Ireland, though, in modern times, soda breads are considered part of an Irish quote-unquote proper breakfast, which features bacon, sausage, fried eggs, white pudding, black pudding, toast, and a fried tomato. What the fuck is white pudding? I know black pudding is like a gross, weird old blood sausage or something, but I don't even want to know what a white pudding is. I'm going to assume white pudding isn't vanilla or white chocolate, which are the only acceptable, like, flavored puddings that should be white. Or wait, or coconut. Well, like I said, the, uh, the UK isn't exactly known for its food. I know they used pudding first before we did, but, like, come on. It's time to pass the torch and use pudding just for the custard type. Ugh. Anyway, in terms of makeup, Apparently, Northern Ireland, it's more popular to make those little griddle cake, like pita flatbreads that we mentioned earlier, while Southern Ireland makes the, like, classic loaf shape for their soda breads. If you're not up on European geography, Northern Ireland is just the one that's part of the UK, I believe. The rest of the country, though, is just Ireland, Ireland. Good on them, though, because they make the better version of soda bread, the loaf. I also discovered that there is a variety of soda bread called Spotted Dick, <laughs> which of course contains raisins. Ooh. It's named after some sort of like British pudding of the same name. Like, look, 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 look. I know this name Spotted Dick probably predated the use of dick meaning a man's junk, but come on. <laughs> we can't be the only ones giggling about that right now, right? Spotted Dick. <laughs> Once again, ladies and gentlemen, British food. Also, we did find that there is a Society for the Preservation of Irish Soda Bread. It has a Facebook page with at least 3,000 members. I'm not sure if that's a lot anymore, though. It sounds like a lot, but then again, a Shih Tzu with an Instagram recently followed me that has only nine posts but a thousand followers, so I don't know what the fuck to believe anymore. Speaking of dogs on Instagram... If anyone's curious, you can follow our dog Charlie on Instagram at charles.digby. Oh yeah, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just search for Four Couples Food Guide. Help us get more followers than the old SPISB. Ah, the good old SPISB. The SPISB! 
the Society for the Preservation of Irish Soda Bread. Speaking of them, they also do have a website, which looks and reads like it was made in 2004 by someone in their 70s, which, given the subject matter, that totally checks out. So, most recently, soda breads are surging in popularity again because, well, we have the whole trendy quarantine baking by bored idiots who want to post pictures of their dumb food on the internet. Of course, we're not dumb idiots that like posting their dumb food on the internet. We're cool idiots that like posting our food on the internet. Anyway, in case you've been in a coma for the past few months, or I don't know, this podcast survives long enough that people are listening to it in the distant future, I'd like you to recall that the year 2020 was the calendar year equivalent of stepping on a Lego, falling down the stairs, and landing face first in a pile of dog shit at the bottom of the stairs. Honestly, even that's being a little generous. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and as such, people have been panic buying the shit out of the most random, inane items since, well, since March, basically. First, every store ran out of toilet paper, and then tissues sold out of everywhere. I guess because people were wiping their asses with tissues? Meat hasn't been in stock as plentiful as it usually is because some meat plants were shutting down. But then, inexplicably, the internet as a whole just decided to start baking things out of boredom for whatever reason. As if, like, the American population had just came right out and was like, Huh, never tried my hand at this whole cooking thing. What's that you call it? Baking? Shit, never heard of it. Well, hold on now, you're telling me I can make food happen in my house? Shit, sign me up, I need yeast. I better run out by 27 packets of it ASAP. So yeah. So for anyone who's actually baked bread or other goods at home before, it's a really frustrating time because all these numbskulls are buying up all the yeast and it's impossible to find it in most grocery stores. I think it's getting a little bit better now, but I don't even know. Who knows? To be fair, it's almost impossible to find yeast at ShopRite at any time because for some reason it's in the frozen food section on an end cap with Velveeta. Of course. I wish we could have that 40 minutes of our life back. (laughs) So, I'm sure you know where we're going with this. Yep, good old soda bread. It doesn't require yeast, it just takes baking soda, which is still available in most places. Or, at least the last time we checked it was, who the hell knows anymore. But so yeah, this comes as good news to all the assholes who need to post themselves baking bread for the first time in their lives on social media, as if they just accomplished this monumental task that no human has ever done before. They don't need to hunt down a packet of yeast, they can just whip up some soda bread and BAM! Let the likes and comments and SEO come flowing in. You know, I wasn't even sure or aware about all this until we started researching for this episode. Half of the search results in Google were news outlets basically just writing a serious description of the last five minutes that we just went on about. They were suggesting readers try baking soda bread since yeast is hard to come by, and, you know, not like they could have been baking bread this whole time or anything. Nah, of course not. Only Irish ladies know how to do that. If you're not an old Irish mom, it's just not possible, unless, of course, Google tells you to. Uh, I know it sounds futile, but let's take a look at the recipe we use for Irish soda bread before we finish up with this week's main course. So, this recipe comes from your nana, grandma, or... It comes from the internet. My mom got a recipe from the internet uh, maybe like 15 years ago because she wanted a recipe that didn't have raisins in it. Because my mom was raised right and 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 raised me correctly to not put raisins in bread. Raise your kids right. 
don't raise in. I guess Google and the internet is kind of like all of our mothers in a way. Nailed it. <laughs> anyway, this recipe calls for four cups of all-purpose flour, a teaspoon of salt, two teaspoons of baking soda, one and a half teaspoons of cream of tartar, three tablespoons of cold butter cut into small pieces, and two cups of buttermilk. Basically, you're just going to stir your flour, your baking soda, your cream of tartar into a large bowls, the dry ingredients. You add the butter, rub in the flour, and, you know, the best tools for this job are your thumbs and forefingers until the butter lumps have disappeared. After that, you add the buttermilk to the dry ingredients, stir it up until everything's moist, and then you turn it out onto a floured surface, and you're going to knead it eight or ten times until the dough is soft and combined and everything looks like a dough. Form that dough into a ball, place it onto a floured baking sheet, and with a sharp knife, you got to let the devil out. Cut a deep cross all the way through the unbaked lo- the loaf, but don't separate the pieces. You don't do it all the way through. You just do a little shallow egg. I don't know where we got this recipe from. Don't look at me. <laughs> anyway, cut the cross shape in so you can let the devil out or let the, the bread rise. I don't even know. Either way, that's going to enable the center of the loaf to bake completely. Dust the top of the loaf with flour and then put it into the oven for 15 minutes. After that, reduce the heat to 375 degrees and you're going to bake it for an additional 25 minutes. It'll make one large Irish soda bread loaf that's approximately 9 inches in diameter. Some recipes will tell you to add raisins. I cannot emphasize this enough. Don't add raisins! Raisins are the devil! So yeah, give it a shot. Even if it's not St. Patrick's Day, even if it's not an epidemic, if you're missing out on yeast because of all these trendoids buying it up, you can at least take some solace in the fact that, quote-unquote, we're all in this together. So bake some fucking soda bread. Who knows? Maybe it'll even cure coronavirus just like that one senator thought it would do with the Spanish flu. That about covers it up for today's main course. Hope you guys saved room, as always, for some dessert. So I guess the same way we did with appetizers, we'll go over like a brief overview of what dessert is going to be. Is it cookies? I like cookies. No, it's not cookies. Although I really could go over some cookies right about now. All right, it's in the podcast. We're going to make cookies. Bye, guys. See you later. See you later. Fuck off. But no, seriously, dessert, well, we're going to do this as kind of like a revolving sort of rotation of different, like, I don't want to call them games, but just different little featurettes. Like, we've got some ideas. It'll always feature the mailbag where we'll answer reader questions and comments we may have received in social media. We have an old recipe book where basically you try to guess what the ingredients are based on what the name is, and sometimes doesn't exactly go the way you would expect it to. Or vice versa, hear the horrifying ingredients and try to guess what the recipe is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, so we've got some ideas for, for different things like that. We'll start them up in the next episode. For now, let's just go to this episode's mailbag. So, as always, you've got questions and we've got answers. You can write to us at porkcouplesfoodguide at gmail.com and ask for any cooking advice you may need. You could also send in any comments, feedback, criticism, hate mail, love mail, chain letters, postcards, and whatever random pondering should pass your mind. Please, just send us whatever you want. We'll, we'll read it on the show, unless it's something just incredibly racist. Once again, that's porkcouplesfoodguide at gmail.com. Or, if you like, you can hit us up on Facebook as well. And now Instagram. We do have a recently launched Instagram. Please follow us there as well. So, this first mailbag question comes from friend of the show, Sarah. And Sarah asks, 
When I'm baking with cream cheese, it always breaks up into little chunks instead of getting all smooth and creamy. How do I prevent this? The first way is to make sure that your cream cheese has come to room temperature and is thoroughly soft, since the harder it is and the colder it is, the harder it's going to be to like get nice and smooth. You can even experience this even if you're just like putting cream cheese on your bagel. Like It's harder to spread it if it's straight from the fridge and cold. But also, if you have it at room temperature and you're still having trouble, maybe try a different brand. Like, not to name drop or like, you know, obviously like not sponsored. Although if anyone wants to sponsor us, that would be great. Give us money. <laughs> but like somehow Philly, like Philadelphia just has the best cream cheese and I've never really had any trouble with them. Like Aldi, like I love you, but like your cream cheese kind of sucks. It's not the best. And like, do you tend to have more trouble with theirs not getting smooth? been doing stuff so yeah first try making sure it's at room temperature before using it for baking and then two if you're still having trouble just try a different brand and see if that works any better for you yeah it it does come down to temperature in my experience a lot uh if for some reason it's a a, a cold winter day and you just can't get that cream cheese to warm up you could even take the cream cheese and like Put it out on a plate, put it in the microwave and like microwave for like 10, 15 seconds and that should soften it up and it should blend better. Of course, we're in the middle of summer now, so that shouldn't be a problem. Let's move on to the next question. We have a question from Kyle, another friend of the show, who asks, How long after the best buy date is food good for? I've got some pancake mix that uh, I'm embarrassed to admit how old it is. Well... I've got good news for you, Kyle, because you are not the only person with ludicrously old food in their apartment. Because we, well, I don't even know where to start. I think we have some Snapples that said the uh, the Best Buy date was 2017. And uh, we also just have a couple of donuts on our stove that are... I think they're going to be three years old this year. They'll be celebrating their third birthday this October, I believe. They're Dunkin' Donuts, just plain chocolate... Frosted donuts, I think. They're or? white chocolate. They're I'm Halloween sorry. ones. They were Halloween. They are. They're, they're frosted Halloween donuts. And I'm pretty sure we got those back in 2017 or something. I don't know why they're there. We just, they got stale after we not eating them, them for a, a few days. And then we put them out as a joke. Yeah, we left them out because we thought surely this, this, this oily, fatty, like delicious donut will go bad. It'll get moldy. Everything in our fucking apartment gets moldy. We put bread out, it gets moldy. We used to have butter in a butter belt, it went moldy. Fucking, I wouldn't be surprised if there's mold growing in the fucking air vents. Somehow, though, these donuts, they just keep going on. They're invincible. They will never be moldy. They'll never go bad. I mean, technically, they're probably really bad. They're petrified, but they look like you could eat them, and they're just still sitting on our stove to this very day. Incidentally, we have not eaten Dunkin' Donuts since then because I'm not sure I want that sitting in my body. I do love donuts, though. I could go for a donut. Wow, we got way off track, though. Sorry we didn't answer your question, Kyle. Anyway, in case you haven't put it together, the Best Buy date is more of a suggestion. Most food that's not perishable can survive the Best Buy date for at least probably a few months. You know, sometimes maybe even a year, like... I think that there's there's some confusion between like expiration dates, sell by dates, and best by dates. So let's let's give a little uh, I guess like a semantics lesson here. I believe expiration date 
is like a legal definition that says like it's usually used for like meat, milk, stuff that like goes bad pretty quick. That's like the like legal date when it's like expected to like not really be safe to eat anymore. And at that point, if you eat it after that, you can't sue the company and be like, my fucking meat went bad and I want money because I got a bad stomach. So that's more of like, that's probably the one you need to like look out the most for. But even then, meat, you know, usually can like last in the freezer for months and months and months. The next one up is the sell-by date, which I think is also used for meat and milk sometimes, but it's also used for, like, baked goods. The sell-by date, similar to the best-by date, is more of a suggestion, but it's more of, it's more like regulation for the store. Like, they have to sell it before that date, because it's pretty much going to be, like, guaranteed to still be good at that point. But then after that, like, all bets are off. So you could buy it, take it home before the sell-by date, and then have it after the sell-by date, and it probably will still be good. But just as its name suggests, they can't sell it after the sell-by date. Now, you're asking specifically about the best-by date. Best-by dates are tricky because that ultimately, like I said, is just a suggestion. Basically what it sounds like, it's the date the food is best by. Like, you can still eat it after the best-by date, but it won't be it might not be at its best like it's still edible and won't make you sick but like it might be stale or soggy or just like not its best yeah they just they can't guarantee it's not it's just not going to be the best anymore sorry (laughs) yeah or something like pancake mix that does have like chemical leaveners in it after the best by date they might not be as effective or like something with like yeast again with leaveners some of your yeast might have died off or not rise as effectively after the best by date. But again, they're still safe to eat. They just won't be their best. Yeah, I feel like a good rule of thumb is like give it a sniff. If it smells bad, it's don't eat it. Obviously, if it smells bad, your nose is going to tell you what's bad. After that, you just got to like play it by ear. Like it might not be good texture wise. It might not be palatable, but it's probably still safe to eat, especially if it's dried goods. But you just got to you just got to be smart. So, I feel like we didn't really answer your question, but... Because there's not really a firm answer. There really... It's a case-by-case basis. Yeah, you gotta go on a case-by-case basis. But, like I said, you can at least take some solace in the fact that you're not the only one with old food in your pantry. Just just look at any old Italian grandma's pantry. There's gonna be food in there from, like, the 70s. Yeah, probably from the Reagan administration. All right, peeps, with that, we're all set here. Check, please. Well, that about wraps it up for this very first edition of the Pork Couples Food Guide Deep Dish Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it at least a little bit, since, as I said, we're just kind of like figuring things out for now. If you didn't turn it off at this point and made it all the way to the end, well, brownie points to you. Hell, who knows, maybe you even learned a thing or two. Maybe you'll actually make some brownies. As mentioned, feel free to leave us feedback, criticism, or comments to help us develop this show into something everyone can enjoy. Check out our blog, PoorCouplesFoodGuide.com, and email us at PoorCouplesFoodGuide at gmail.com. Yeah, we're, we're still not big enough to get our own email domain. Maybe someday. We're looking forward to giving this trial run of episodes a shot. And hey, maybe if you don't hate it too much, or if you don't hate doing it too much, it'll turn into something we can continue to deliver to you on a regular basis. So next week, we're going to be taking a look at an American classic. Probably one of the most iconic foodstuffs in United States history, whose predecessors trace all the way back to Genghis Khan carrying on a horseback. Feel free to guess in the comments section, and maybe if you guess right, 
then we might give you a shout-out in next week's episode. Here's a hint. There may be foreshadowing in this episode if you listen closely. Until then, everybody, stay hungry and keep feeding that brain. Of course, of course there's fireworks. Of course they have to be doing fireworks on a Thursday fucking night.